Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 as we conclude chapter 9 this morning and look at the 70 weeks here of Daniel's, uh, in Daniel's book. Just a little advertisement, not next week, but the week after on September 24th. Uh, we're going to have our missionaries, uh, Norman Susan Smith, with us. Uh, missionaries to Japan. They're currently back for a little while as they're caring for Susan's mother, but Norm is busy and active uh, with ABWE. They're sending agency doing training and such, and so we'll get a, a brief, uh, we'll, heal, we'll preach and we'll get a report update from them. And then the Sunday after that, uh, we're looking forward to having Dr. Jeff Newman with us. Uh, he was a counseling professor at Faith uh, for many years and has transitioned into a different role now with Baptist Mid-Missions uh, basically being a pastor or counselor to the missionaries. It's a really unique ministry, and it, he will, it will be a blessing to hear from him. He's a, yeah, he's a great guy, great communicator, and demonstrates such care with the Word and for others. And so those two weeks coming up the end of September, the beginning of October, looking forward to those times together. But if you found your way to Daniel chapter 9, let's pray, and then I'll read a portion of our passage by way of introduction, and then we'll jump in together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that we've already sung. Lord, all the way from all my ways are known to you to being complete in you to understanding that it's not us, but it's Christ in us and all glory should be given to him. And what does that lead to? Lord, it leads to our souls being well. Lord, it's good for us to ask, how goes it with our soul? Lord, to be honest with ourselves and with you and perhaps with a faithful brother or sister in Christ to say, it is going well with my soul and maybe it's not going well. Lord, I pray that we can be honest with you. Lord, find encouragement and strength from your word and to come to Christ anew to find him faithful, to find him as our Savior, the good shepherd, the one who is always there, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, to find our rest in him. Lord, help us as we come to your word this morning, to this difficult passage. Lord, help us keep the big picture in mind. Give us understanding and insight. Lord, help me to speak clearly where your word speaks and help me to, to refrain from adding things that are not there. Lord, to clearly and plainly lay out the text and its implications for us today. Lord, we love you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 23 as an introduction this morning. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Have you ever asked someone a question wanting a specific answer and they give you way more than you asked for. <laughs> Maybe you are that person, right? 
Somebody asks you a question, well, you have to tell the backstory and the side story and the 13 rabbit trails and everything else. And the person says, no, 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 get to the point, get to the point. <laughs> you just want the cold, hard facts, right? I ask the question, give me the answer. Uh, there's a phrase that says, I just want the baby. I don't want the labor pains, right? Just give me the answer. <laughs> Here, Daniel asked God for an answer. He wants to know when the 70 weeks will be up, or excuse me, the, the 70 years from Jeremiah's prophecy, which we looked at last week in verses 1 through 19 in this beautiful prayer of Daniel confessing his sin of adoring God and then asking Lord, I, I've been reading in Jeremiah and there are these, these 70 years of exile and, and Lord, I, I've done the math and it should be ending soon. Lord, when will it end? And God does not say, okay, in three years, you're going to go back. <laughs> he answers Daniel's prayer, but in a very roundabout way, including a lot of extra things that Daniel did not ask for. Daniel wanted a specific answer to his question, but yet God in his wisdom and his sovereignty gave Daniel that and so much more. And yet, so much more than even the 70 years of exile, the grand plan of God, these 70 weeks. One author said, this is the most difficult passage in the Old Testament to understand. That's always reassuring when you come to that on a Tuesday morning in your pastor study. As I'm reading and studying and, and looking at the passage and then consulting some commentaries and some scholars and several of them say that same thing. It's like, awesome. <laughs> but as we look at this passage, it is difficult. It can be confusing. There can be a lot of different ways that you can take a lot of these things. But my goal here is just as Daniel was seeking a simple answer and God gave him much more, we are going to look simply at this passage and to see this broad structure that God has laid out for Daniel and what it means for Daniel, for the nation, and for us today. And as we come to Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27, the big idea is this. God is revealing his plan of redemption, his, his overarching plan of redeeming not only the nation, but all of creation, in a sense, to himself. God's plan of redemption works itself out through the rise and fall of Israel to secure an eternal future of more than just a city. Daniel is focused on the exiles returning to Jerusalem, returning to the promised land. But God's answer is far more than just that. It's far more than just, okay, this is when you're going to get back to Jerusalem. He's going to encapsulate basically his plan going forward into this, this simple structure of this idea of 77s, literally, and what the flow is going to be in that. So as we come to this, we see God's overarching plan of redemption. It's going to work itself out through the rise and fall of Israel, which we'll see hinted at here. But the result is more than just the restoration of Jerusalem. It's the restoration, in a sense, of God's kingdom itself. So let's look here. We're going to look at Gabriel and how he delivers an answer, and then what that answer is in the 70 weeks. So let's look here at God's direct answer to Daniel by way of Gabriel and what it means for the future. 
So first, Gabriel delivers the answer. Verse 20, it seems that Daniel is still praying. He says, when I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. So he's, he's praying. So this prayer at the beginning of chapter 9 seems to be something that he was praying repeatedly or again and again, or it was a prayer request that he submitted day after day. And one of these times while he was praying and speaking and pouring out his heart before the Lord, and we see some of these things repeated that we mentioned last week. He was confessing sin. He was bringing his plea before the Lord my God. And it's for the holy hill. This is the the city of Jerusalem, the holy hill of my God, Jerusalem. Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer. So he's, he's praying, he's pouring out his heart before God. Someone comes to him, the man Gabriel. Now, that phrase, the man Gabriel, could be uh, translated as Gabriel who looked like a man. The man who was like a man, Gabriel. We understand this to be the angel Gabriel. And he appears in the form of a man, which is interesting. Angels, as we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, apart from a few instances, appear in the form of a man. We think of an angel as one mighty and powerful with wings and and, you know, we have that, that vision, right? The, the flying angels. Now, there are some crazy visions in Ezekiel and Isaiah. But normally, as angels appear to individuals in Scripture, they come as a man. Though they may be glowing whites, and there is definitely a response by the human individuals to the angels. But Gabriel appears as a man to speak with Daniel. And he recognizes Gabriel because he says, Whom I had seen in the vision at the first meaning one of his previous visions that we've already spoken about here in the preceding chapters. And Daniel came to him. Now, the ESV says, in swift flight. And that's interesting way of, of translating it. That in swift flight can also be rendered or translated as an extreme weariness. You might ask, those. that's two vastly different uh, translations. In swift flight and in extreme weariness. Hebrew is a difficult language to understand. Hebrew was written without vowels. Um, so think of having words without the vowels. You can figure most of them out, but sometimes, well, this makes sense and this makes sense, depending on which vowels you use. This is one of those instances. So if you would take swift flight as the correct translation, that would mean that Gabriel came suddenly to Daniel. So the reference there is, Gabriel appearing suddenly to Daniel. If you took the translation in extreme weariness, it refers to Daniel and his crying out. Either way, it doesn't necessarily affect the meaning of any of the broader idea here in this passage. It's just interesting the way that you could take uh, certain things uh, a different way. But this, in swift flight or in extreme weariness, at the time of the evening sacrifice. So Gabriel appears to Daniel. And I think an extreme weariness fits the context better because Daniel's been crying out. Daniel's an old man. Daniel is weary. He's overcome with the burdens and the cares. And he's crying out the time of the evening sacrifice. This is late afternoon uh, into early evening. Uh, This would be a normal time, most people believe, for Daniel to pray. Daniel would pray from his rooftop or his upper room three times a day. We see that in Daniel 6 
And more than likely, it was during the time of the evening sacrifice was one of those prayers. And so Daniel is crying out and Gabriel appears. And it says in verse 22 that Gabriel appears and he made him understand. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Gabriel's a messenger. Gabriel's a messenger. We see the, the delivery of the message earlier in Daniel. We see the delivery of the message to, to Mary and Joseph in the beginning uh, or around the birth of Christ. And here Daniel is delivering this, or excuse me, Gabriel's delivering this message to Daniel. And he's coming to give insight and understanding. Daniel's crying out saying, how many more years until we return? And Gabriel's saying, I'm coming to give you an answer. Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I've come to tell it to you. Why? For you are greatly loved. I think this little, this little episode here is, is really interesting. Daniel is crying out before God. And pleas went out. A word of mercy went out. And Gabriel's come to tell him because he's greatly loved. Daniel is greatly loved by God. And because he's greatly loved, we see this direct answer to his pleas. And Gabriel says, therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. We see Daniel's place in God's eyes that he is greatly loved. He has been a, a chosen instrument of God here in these preceding chapters. And he's now receiving this revelation for him to understand. As we reflected last week on this prayer of Daniel, of him crying out of how he approaches God, we see here how God answers him in a special way. And while we understand that God does not answer every prayer of ours by Gabriel showing up, <laughs> we do know that God answers our prayers. God answers prayer. God hears us. Because we are greatly loved as well. You may say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've confessed your sin, repented, put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are, what does it say in Ephesians, accepted in the beloved. We are in Christ. That's our identity. We are united with Christ. And being in Christ, we have this inheritance. We have this position. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. As it says in Hebrews, we can approach the throne of God boldly because of what Jesus has done for us. We have a great high priest who intercedes. In Romans 8, it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered or cannot be understood. Daniel is greatly loved. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, are greatly loved as well. And God hears our pleas. He hears our cries. And he answers. Now the thing is, like any parent knows, sometimes the answer, the correct answer, the good answer, the loving answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is I'm going to do something and you don't even know what it is. Sometimes the answer is yes. And as Daniel's crying out to God and God hears him and answers because he's greatly loved, he receives an answer. 
It's a good reminder for us that when we cry out to God, God answers us. He hears us. Now we need to remember, it's not always as we want it to be. And it may not be as clear and as plain as an angel showing up and giving you the answer. But rest assured, because of Jesus Christ and what he has secured for us and who we are in him, we are greatly loved and and God hears our prayers just the same. The amazing thing is he hears all of our prayers all at once. You don't need the red telephone to the president, right? People often say, Pastor, can, can, can you pray? Yes, I'm more than happy to. I want to. Pastor James and I pray for all of you often. But understand this. Another brother or sister in Christ in this church has the same access to God that Pastor James and I do. Every one of us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, have the same access to God as anybody else. So pray boldly, pray confidently, pray expecting an answer, and and rest in the fact that God hears, he knows, he will answer. It may not be as we want, and it may not be until the other side of glory when we see, oh God, that's how you answered that, and I didn't even know it. But as Daniel cries out to God, God hears him and he answers him because he's greatly loved. And so may we, as we have difficult things in our life, Lord, help me to understand. Lord, what do I do? Give me discernment. Give me wisdom that we can cry out to him. Lord, there's something hard going on. Help me. What are you teaching me? Or perhaps like me this week, Lord, this is a hard passage of scripture to understand. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. Help your spirit to to work in me, to, uh, Lord, to help me understand and know that God will answer. When we cry out to God, he knows. And the heart of our Heavenly Father is one who cares. As we've sung about, all our ways are known to him. All our ways are known to him. He cares for us. He loves us. He guides us. He provides for us. So may we faithfully pray and know that he hears and he answers. Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, this is what I'm going to explain to you. And it's this vision. And it's not necessarily a vision, the end of Daniel 9 here, because Gabriel is recounting it to Daniel. So it's an explanation, you could say, Gabriel's explanation. And it's concerning God's plan of the 70 weeks. So this is, this is really the bulk of the message here. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So before we even jump in here, there, there's a lot of kind of foundational things. We need to start with the understanding of the 70 weeks in this phrase. In your footnote uh, in the ESV, it says on weeks, it also means, or literally means sevens. So 70 sevens. The number seven is going to be repeated a lot this morning. Uh, but 70 sevens, and, and it's translated often as weeks, because how many days in the week are there? There's seven. So there are 77s which are decreed about your people and your holy city. And the question is then, what are these 77? What are these 70 weeks? What is it referring to? Now this term for sevens or weeks is a, is a term of measurement or grouping. So that's why it's weeks, right? A, a week is one, a, one group of, of seven days. So it's this grouping, this numerical term used to describe a certain amount of things. The question is, what does that refer to? It's referring to something specific, a period of time. 
Now, it's not referring to 70 weeks. It's not referring to a literal week because in the Jewish mind, the week really wasn't a thing as much as it is for us. This term for sevens is often applied to either days, months, or years. So the question is, as you look at the context of everything that follows here, is it 70 days? Is it 70 months? Or is it 70 years? What was what, what it referring to here? 70 sevens. 70 sevens of what? Days, months, or years? So as we look at the rest of this passage, which we will, it seems that days are out of the question. 490 days would be 77s of days. And it seems that the scope is broader than just days. What about months? Well, if you look at what's happening here and how it's laid out, it doesn't make sense for it to be months looking back at it as well because of the process of things that happened and the restoration and, and all that. So 70 groups of seven months doesn't fit. And so what about years? 70 sevens of years. That seems to fit. That would fit the pattern of what we read in the rest of these verses. So 70 sevens are decreed. So if you are good at math and it's football season, that's how I learned to count by sevens, uh, like any young boy does. Seven times seven is 49, way more than the Iowa offense will ever score. Seven times seven is 49, and then you add in the zero or the 70, so it'd be 490 years. So the 70 weeks or the 77s would be 490 years. And we understand when Daniel is writing, uh, uh, there's a couple different ideas, uh, but in, in the 400s or, or early fi 500 BCs or, or late 400s, he's writing. And so uh, when does this begin? When does this start? And that's the question that we'll look at here. But as we approach this, your understanding is based upon one's hermeneutic. That's a fancy term for how you interpret and apply and understand Scripture. Do you use symbolism all the time? Do you seek a plain understanding? Do you understand the context and the, the genre of what is being written? Do you understand it as poetry? And when we say the Lord is my shepherd, we know that God is not a literal shepherd with a staff who has literal sheep, but rather it's imagery, poetry, right? So we employ a grammatical, historical hermeneutic. We seek to understand things as they were written by the original author in its genre or type of writing, understanding then that impacts how we understand and interpret it. So we seek to understand the plain meaning by taking into account the author's intent, the type of writing that it is, the use of language that was normal at the time it was, it was written, like the idea of 77s, and seek to understand it that way. So 70 weeks, 77s, 490 years are decreed. They're decreed about what? About your people and your holy city, Gabriel is recounting, about the Jews and Jerusalem, God's nation, his area, his land. And what is decreed? This is often missed. As I came to this passage this week, 
I already had in mind some of these things that I knew from verses 25 through 27. But yet I was reminded of the importance of verse 24, and I think this is important for us. We can often get lost in the forest because we're so focused on the trees. We need to seek to understand the details, but yet let's not lose the big picture of what God is doing here. And what God is doing here is in verse 24. These 490 weeks are decreed about the Jews and Jerusalem and the promised land, and what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. To finish the transgression. To finish the transgression. There are six things here. First off, finish the transgression. The end the rebellion against God. To finish those who are rebelling against God. That God's enemies would be done away with. Secondly, to put an end to sin. That sin itself is done away with. That this is what God is going to bring about. That God's enemies will be Overcome, sin will be dealt with. Thirdly, to atone for iniquity. There will be atonement. There will be covering for this sin. A final sacrifice will be made. This final sacrifice will be made. And which leads to number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This righteousness is present and it never leaves because it's everlasting. This is an eternal righteousness, an eternal perfection. Not only is sin God, sin gone, but perfection enters forever. Five, to seal both vision and profit. This is the idea of to confirm and to keep the revelation that will be fulfilled through the prophets in the coming years. So everything that has been uh, prophesied, everything that has been pronounced, everything that has been predicted will come to pass and it will be complete to seal, to make whole both the vision and the prophets and to anoint a most holy place. To anoint a most holy place. This is a literal dwelling will be established and it will not be desecrated again. This is the idea of God dwelling with his people. This is the ultimate end rebellion against God will be done. Sin will be done away with. Final sacrifice and covering will be made. And everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Sin will be gone and perfection will be here forever. Everything will be brought to completion that has been prophesied. It will be completed. And there will be a dwelling place of God among his people. This is the goal. This is the end. And it'll work itself out in these next few verses. But remember, this is what it's going to be like. This is the hope that Gabriel gives to Daniel. That Daniel, this is what God is doing. You are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation of the Medes and Persians at this point in time. You've lived through Babylon. You've seen the corruption of the nation of Israel and all these things, these enemies of God, these people who've tried to kill you because of your faith, all these things. But know this, Daniel, that one day at the end of God's time frame, these enemies will be done away with. Perfection will come. Sacrifice will be made. And there will be a dwelling, a holy dwelling of God among his people. This is the end. Keep that in mind. Verse 25, know, therefore, and understand these things. One author said this, in these six statements, we have the sum of all the good things that God promised to men perfectly realized. And I think that's important. 
Because the purpose is not just the weeks or the years, which we'll talk about, but the purpose is the end, right? It's the goal. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're longing for, and that's what we keep our eyes on. So we look at these results, and we see how we get there. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. Now he's going to give the time frame here of these 70 weeks or these 490 years. And we see the time frame. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, those shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. So we see how this 70 weeks are split up into seven, 62, and then one. And so we, we read here of this this. Uh, the structure that God gives. So it begins with this proclamation, this going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. So there are several points in which this can refer to. This could refer to Cyrus's declaration. It can refer to different times when Nehemiah actually went from Persia to begin the rebuilding of the city. There are several different points that may be a few years off here, but we know that it's around this time in which proclamations go forth that the Jews can leave their captivity and go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the city. And they do this. And this shall be seven weeks, or seven sevens, or 49 years. So 49 years from the proclamation to the building of Jerusalem of restoring it. And then, to the coming of anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. All this is kind of fit together and it's kind of confusing, but it's seven and then 62. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a time of trouble. So there's the 49 years from the decree to go back until the completion, most people think of the walls around Jerusalem. And then 62 weeks, 62 times seven, Good at math here, and I feel terrible because of all the things that I have written here. Uh, oh, here we go, 434 years. I was say, I was going to have to do math in my head. <laughs> this is not a good thing. 434 years, which goes until Jesus comes onto the scene. So the activities of Ezra and Nehemiah and the decree of Cyrus begins this 490 years, continues for 49 years until the completion of the wall, Some people take it as a reinstatement of the law under Ezra, whether each one of those, there are a few years off there. But following this, there's 434 years in which there is trouble, right? In that time, there is trouble. It's not an easy 434 years. That's when Antiochus Epiphanes comes about, which we've already learned about, of the the struggle with other captors and people in charge for the nation of Israel. It's not a time of peace. And this continues for 62 weeks, 434 years. If you get detailed and start to look at how they track things, there's many questions. Uh, Did they use 30-day months? Did they use, which calendar did they use? There's all these questions that you can ask uh, about these weeks, but we're just getting the broad brushstrokes here. The end of 62 weeks comes in verse 26. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one, shall be cut off, and shall have nothing. So, seven weeks until the 
restoration of Jerusalem, and then 62 weeks, 434 years. But this time ends as an anointed one is cut off. This anointed one is literally this Messiah. And we understand this to be Jesus, the anointed one. And after he is cut off. And so if you look at the timing of this, whether it's the beginning of Christ's ministry or his crucifixion, uh, there's little leeway there, several years. But that 434 years ends with Christ, with his life on earth. And as the Messiah is cut off and has nothing. So we see seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks. That's, uh, if you have 434 plus 49, that's 480 some. You, you got the math right here. I just didn't write that. You have this cut off. The anointed one is cut off, the death of Christ. And before the death of Christ, the city is rebuilt with squares and moats or the idea of fortification and walls. So we come to this point in verse 26. And then Gabriel recounts for us, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So it's something important to note here. Who destroys the city and its sanctuary? It's not the prince. So we have a couple different princes mentioned here. The one prince is Jesus, the anointed one. But then we have the prince that is referred to as the little horn from Daniel 7, which the little horn from Daniel chapter 7 from the fourth kingdom is the ultimate antichrist because we see uh, the correlation from verses 27 to him uh, into chapter 7. But who destroys the city and the sanctuary? It's the people of the prince. Not the prince himself, but the people of the prince. And who are the people of the prince? We understand that to be Rome. Who destroyed the temple and raised the city of Jerusalem in AD 70? The Romans. The Romans. So we see how the prince is cut off, this anointed one, and then the Romans, the people of the prince who is to come, destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end comes with a flood, this idea of swiftness or an overwhelming destruction. And to the end, there shall be war. So we see how the city is destroyed in swiftness and uh, extreme uh, judgment. And to the end, there is war, meaning there's no peace in the city until the end. And we see that repeated again and again today throughout the generations of the conflict in the area of Jerusalem and Israel. Desolations are decreed, meaning destruction is decreed. And now we come to verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So who is the we here? Or who is the, who is the he? The he, this pronoun, refers back to the subject in verse 26. The people of the prince, it's the prince, shall put an end to sacrifice, or excuse me, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So he, this prince, this Antichrist will make a strong covenant, will make a bold agreement with many for one week. That's for seven years. And we understand this as we look here and the rest of Scripture that this would be the tribulation, the time in which God's judgment is poured out uh, on the earth 
for seven years. And so this Antichrist makes this agreement for one week. And for half the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. This idea is after three and a half years, this agreement ends. And he puts an end to the sacrifice and the offering. He himself ends the worship of God and actually sets himself up as God. And then on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. This idea here is that this Antichrist brings desolation and destruction upon Jerusalem. And the Jews, until the ultimate judgment is poured out on him, the end of verse 27, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The temple lies destroyed, but a day is coming when this prince will make a covenant. These things will happen, but God ultimately will have the final answer as it is poured out on this desolator. So big picture, take a step back and catch your breath here. Daniel wants to know when the people will get to go back to Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to give you a broader answer than what you want. Daniel, from when the decree goes out, whether that's Cyrus's decree or the reinstitution of the law or Nehemiah, this certain time frame, there's going to be 49 years in which the city is rebuilt. And then when the city is rebuilt, from then there's going to be 434 years until this anointed one is cut off. The anointed one we understand to be the Messiah, to be Christ. This one is the, the son of man in Daniel 7. So you have this 483-year time frame until the anointed one is cut off. And then at this time, the nation that the Antichrist will come from, the people of the nation, not the Antichrist, is going to destroy the temple and the city, which happened in AD 70. And there's warring in this area continually until God comes back, which is evident today. But there seems to be a break between that 69th week and the final 70th week. And it's implied because we see the, how the events lay out here. There's a lot that transpires until that last week. Because the last week begins when the prince, the Antichrist, makes an agreement with many, right, for one week, Gabriel said. And halfway through that, he breaks that promise, and we see the destruction that is poured out. So we see this grand plan of God. Right now, we are between that 69th week and that 70th week. Somewhere in there. And that's the thing with prophecy. As we understand prophecy in our understanding of Scripture, that sometimes it's not a straight line. It's not a smooth path. Have you ever seen a, a road going up over a hill and you see it on the top of the next hill, but you don't see how it winds down through the valley? That's how prophecy is a lot of time. You can see one point, and you can see another point, but there's a lot that happens in between until we get there. And that's what we're in right now. We're in one of those valleys between that 69th and 70th week. As God is working, we know what's going to happen at the top of that next ridge, but we can't see everything that happens down in the valley. But we know that God has given us these touch points, these, these things, these indicators of what is happening. Daniel receives this revelation from Gabriel. It's a high-level flyover of the future events of the nation of Israel and the plan of God. That God has a plan far more than just the restoration of the Jews to Jerusalem. He has a plan that encompasses all of creation that's seen in verse 24. And there are certain time frames and certain things that will happen according to certain things that God has laid out. 
But the ultimate end is this, is that the transgression will be finished. There's an end to sin. Iniquity is atoned for. Everlasting righteousness is brought in. Visions and prophets are confirmed. And there's a holy dwelling place of God among his people. We might have many questions. There are other passages that give more detail to what's going to be happening here. But as Gabriel gives this answer to him, God will have his way and it will be done. Daniel wanted to know when the people could be able to return to Jerusalem and God gave him something much more. He gave him the game plan for God's return to earth. More than the Jews returning to Jerusalem, God reveals his plan of redemption of all things to himself. So let us rest in the fact that God hears our prayers, he knows us, he answers us, and that he has a plan and he is bringing it about to pass. We need to keep the big picture in mind when we go through difficult things. As we seek to understand this for us today, we need to see how God will work things out according to his plan and his timetable and not ours. We need to know that Jesus is coming. So let us get to work on things that matter. Though you may have more questions, I encourage you to study this out if you feel so led in other passages but understand that God has a plan. He's bringing it about. And there are specific markers that we can see in history and are awaiting that coincide with these things. But let us rest in the fact that God is sovereign and in control and he is bringing all these things about in his time. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Even though it's difficult, and Lord, there is maybe speculation about certain things. Lord, help us to to understand what we can understand, to seek to know those things that perhaps are more difficult. And Lord, let us trust you <laughs> with the ultimate timing of these things. Lord, I'm thankful that these things do not depend upon me, and my wisdom, but are set in your will. And Lord, help us to, to lean on you as Daniel has, to cry out to you and to trust the future to you. Lord, we love you. Pray this in your son's name.